0: Well, we are in the midst of a very historic thing. Uh, you know, of course, the, all the things we talked about last week. I'm not talking about those events, uh, all the things that are sort of unprecedented in our country. What I'm referring to is what's going on in churches in Alachua County right now. As of a couple of weeks ago, a group of pastors, black white, brown pastors began to meet together and consider what we were called to do in response to all the racial unrest in our country and around the world now. And so one of the things we decided to do right off the bat was someone made a suggestion that we preach from one text and have one sermon, so to speak, although obviously Every preacher preaches a little differently, but uh, to have one text and one main focus of our sermon today. And so that's what's going on right now at Greenhouse Church, at, uh, at City Church, at The Well, at Greater Bethel AME Church, at African Methodist Episcopal Church, at uh, Mount Carmel Baptist Church on the east side, um, all over the city, Shift Church, um, lots of other churches are Gathering right now, and the preachers are standing in their pulpit, or have some of them pre recorded, but they're preaching the same text from Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Today, we uh, celebrate One Father Day, as David said. Um, It is Father's Day, but as you know, it's not our tradition to, to really focus on. I don't do a Father's Day sermon like I don't do a Mother's Day sermon, though I know a little bit more about being a father than being a mother. But uh, but but we we don't we don't do that. It's not our tradition. But this is one Father Day because clearly in saying one Father Day, we rem- we remember that we are all one in Christ. For those who profess the name of Christ are all one. That doesn't mean that every creation. That's that I'm not. I'm not sort of. I'm not a universalist. I believe you need to call in the name of Jesus Christ for your salvation. But I do believe that every Christian is. Together with the Father, um, beloved brothers and sisters, and so that's what we're doing today. We're celebrating one Father Day, and we're preaching together. And this is historic. And um, I apologize that you don't get to hear some of those awesome preachers, but but at the, in a little while, at, when I set communion, you will get to see a short video, and that'll reading a statement, and you'll get to see some of these preachers that are involved in what we're doing today. So. Let me just look with you really quickly at this text from from Amos chapter 5. Just to remind you, Amos is a southern boy. He lives in the southern part of of what is modern Israel. He is part of the kingdom of Judah. And he is sent up uh, up to the northern kingdom to be a prophetic word. That's what we southern boys love to do. We love to go north and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. And so here's Amos. I love Amos. He's a farmer. And he's going north to pronounce... Uh, A word over Israel, the northern kingdom. Israel had broken into two, the kingdom of Judah in the south, the kingdom of Israel made up of most of the ten tribes, Um, the other ten tribes besides Judah and Benjamin in the north. The tribes of Israel were living in prosperity. They were doing very well financially, but the prophet begins to call down judgment on God because of the way they're living, the way they're living out, the way they're living not as righteous men and women and the way they're not pursuing justice. And that's where we come to our text in chapter five. And let me just read it again because it's not very long. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. You like it so far? Good sermon, right? Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Take away the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps or your guitars. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing streams. Three observations that the Lord commands Amos to make to his people, the kingdom of Israel. First, God declares that he cares about justice, the practical outliving of what you say you believe. He cares about justice. Secondly, if we aren't pursuing justice in our lives, the offerings, the sacrifices unto God, even though they're prescribed, God had called for all the things that he says he detests, He'd called for those. He'd called for them to go to the temple. he called for them to to make sacrifices of all these kinds and to sing songs of worship to him. Yet despite how prescribed or perfect or extravagant their offerings were, they would be rejected. Unless justice flowed freely in the land. God, thirdly, God expects justice to flow freely. Now you have to understand this. And in a country, in a part of the world where flowing water is not something they can take for granted. We're not talking about the rolling hills of, of North Carolina where you have streams. and we're talking, about, we're talking about a very arid climate where in the summer, and sometimes there are, there, there are rains and they're they are plentiful, but it's sometimes the streams and the riverbeds are dried up. They understood how vital water was. They understood how important it was. And and God says through Amos, in that same way, I want justice to flow, flow down like rivers. I want want to see righteousness as an ever-flowing stream. I'm a kayaker, thanks to the McHughes who gave me kayaks a few years ago. I've taken my friend Ty back there kayaking. have taken some other folks in the room kayaking, and uh, I want to take a few more kayaking if, you, if you'll man up and go with me, or, or woman up and go with me. But I've been to the to the to the first magnitude springs of Santa Fe River. I've I've seen what ever-flowing rivers look like. I've, I've, I've experienced it. I've, I've stood in places that you can't hardly stand up because it just pushes you down because the water is flowing so fast and so hard. And, and that is what the Lord says, I want to see coming out of you, O Israel. I want to see justice flowing out like a first magnitude spring now the two words righteousness and justice are both sectioned here in the same scripture, in the same verse, verse 24. And oftentimes they're paired up in scripture and it can be a little difficult, I'll be honest with you, to understand and to, to define what righteousness and justice mean. Basically they're, they're, they have the same root and that's what makes it so hard to see. But the, the way that I've come to understand it is that righteousness is the, is the principle God is a righteous God. He he is clothed in righteousness. And, And then justice is the fruit. Justice is the fruit. So because God is a righteous God, he acts justly and he pursues justice. It is the practical outflow of God's character. It is the fruit. And so, if we have been made righteous through Christ, to jump to the New Testament, to our, our, our letter from Paul in Romans, if we've been made righteous in Christ, if, if Christ's righteousness has been applied to us, we've been found right before God, justified before God, because of Christ's work on the cross for us, we've been made righteous, we so should act like God and seek justice. Sadly, unfortunately, many times in the church, righteousness and justice have gotten unfairly unhitched. And and that is why you you say, how do these atrocities happen in the history of the Christian church? Well, because people were focused on their own personal righteousness in Christ, but not realizing that the command is that having been made righteous in Christ, that we will begin to act out of justice and seek justice not only for ourselves, but for those around us. I'm not getting a lot of response this morning, but that's okay. Righteousness and justice should never be severed. Now, what injustice are we gonna talk about this morning? Well, we could talk about lots of injustices. We could talk about the injustice of, of unborn children murdered. We could talk about the the issues of justice for women, the Me Too movement, and those would be justified. We could talk about lots of other issues of justice that, that because God is righteous and he seeks justice and he asks us to be just, we could talk about lots of things. But what we're going to talk about this morning is the issue of justice with regards to racial injustice. Now, I told you it was coming, so here we go. Let me suggest... Uh, about racial injustice let me just say this 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 is my kind of working definition of racial injustice racial injustice is a system that excludes or marginalizes people due to their race even if most of the people in the system aren't personally or intentionally trying to accomplish it are you with me that there, is, there are systems that seek to exclude or marginalize people due to their race, even if most of the people in the system aren't intentionally trying to do it. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says that within any system, and all of our communities have systems. That's the way we operate. This is what it means to work in a society. There are those who know what is going on, and they are... Uh, privy to it, and they are actually executing issues and systems that allow things like racism to exist. Think about Nazi Germany. There were people who knew about the genocide of the Jewish people and other groups that were genocide as well, but particularly think about the Jewish people. There were people that were in the know. They were perpetrating it, but they were few. Keller then says that there are people who kind of know but they don't do anything about it. Think about, if, again, Nazi Germany. It's easy to pick on Nazi Germany. You know, think about the, the, the prison guards who were just following orders. Or the city officials who were just going along with what the law said they were to do. And then, of course, Keller says that there are those others who don't really know. But don't want to know. And quite frankly, don't care enough to know. And then of course, they're the radicals, the ones that get martyred, those are the ones who resist the system, who stand against it, and cry out and say, "This is unjust and this should change." Every society has systems. And I would suggest to you that we, particularly those of us who are white in this congregation, need to face the reality that we're a part of a system, that is biased and stacked against our black and brown brothers and sisters. All of this came to a head with the murder of George Floyd. But it has been brewing for a very, very long time. In 1991, I took my first big boy job at Aetna Life and Casualty in Jacksonville as a commercial property underwriter. That's what I did before I went to seminary. Gave up all the the benefits of corporate life. During my time with Aetna, five years, we went through two reorganizations where we had to cut employees and restructure. And a lot of you are familiar with that. Some of you have been victims of that as well. And uh, in in one of those two, 1994, we had a restructuring where there was probably 15 African Americans in my office. This is an office of... Maybe 60, 65, 70 people. Every one of the African Americans in my office was terminated. Without exception. And as a 23, 25 year old, I didn't do a darn thing about it. I'm no longer 25. If I could go back, I would do something different. But I went along with it because it was my first job and I wanted to keep my job. And all the bosses were were people of power and they were all white. And this is what happened. A class action suit followed. I don't know what happened, but rightfully, those African-American employees sought justice because they were being mistreated in the workplace. This is what we're talking about. And this is what... Just like Amos was speaking in the 8th century BC to northern kingdom of Israel, we must as a group of people, particularly as brothers and sisters in Christ, must take a look corporately at our responsibility. Our responsibility when it comes to racial injustice. Repent of our action, but much more than that, Begin to strategize and plan how we will do better. You see, it, one of the things is we've talked through the pastors group, particularly from some of the, from the white pastors. You know, we hear, look, we, we repented. We went to promise keepers events and we, we held hands with our black brothers and sisters and our brown brothers and sisters and we, we repented of racism and we, we confessed it. And we've done all that back in the 90s. The problem is we didn't address the systems that continue to perpetuate the problems that we're facing. I realize this makes some people uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not going to play along with the system. I'm going to call it for what it is. There are achievement gaps among minority students in our county and white students. Do you know that we have some of the worst gaps in in learning and achievement in our county where the University of Florida is where we pour out the best and brightest our achievement gaps between minority and white students is greater than anywhere else in the state this should not be mass incarceration of particularly black men is something that we have got to look at as a society we, cannot, we can no longer say this is a few radical people who are just trying to stir up trouble. This is, this is a known fact. It's been studied. There are gaps in home ownership. There are gaps in employment for minorities. Not equally and in all places, but these are notable things. Tim Keller talks about a study that's done in a car dealership up in Virginia years ago that found that that, you know, there's always that room, that wiggle room in the car dealership where you can negotiate, you know, and, uh, and some of us pride ourselves on being able to get that rock-bottom price. Well, they, they did a study, and what they found is that white men are most effective in negotiating a lower price for their automobile. That's followed by black men, white women, and black women. And effectively, what they concluded was that in this system— that black women were basically subsidizing the cost of vehicles for white men in the county where they lived. Now, this is not about blaming or, 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 or calling someone a racist. This is simply pointing out that there are systems that are at work that disadvantage people of color, and we must take a look at them. The inhumane treatment of particularly black people in police custody disproportionately all of these things and and this is not just a police problem this is this is a societal problem this is a law and a policy problem all of these things have to be taken a look at and yes i've talked to john harris and John and our friends, and we talk frankly, and 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 I, I just wanted to say that, that this is not about hating on the police. This is about recognizing that even our police force, especially our police force, is involved in a system that disadvantages people of color, perpetuates an unjust system, and we have to change. And here's the worst part. The worst part is that, the saddest part of all this, you guys, is that we as the church have not stood. We've repented of our racism. We've repented of our grandfather's and great-grandfather's racism. But we've never addressed the problem of systems in our churches. Do you think it's just coincidence that, that all the wealthy white churches out in the county, you know, live and thrive almost exclusively, all white in their membership, and, and that in the city, you have struggling churches that seek to, to, to either live in multicultural situations or are made up primarily of African-American or, or, or peoples of color. Do you think that's coincidence? Or is it possible? that there's something that needs to be taken a look at. Now, I realize these are all extremely complex things, and I, I don't intend to oversimplify them, but I do want to make you painfully aware of them and tell you that we cannot simply dismiss them. We must take a look. Our churches, our seminaries, our denominations... Now, I promised you that this would be a sermon that I would explain how this matters to the gospel. And I want to do that. God is about justice. I am pointing out an issue of injustice in our culture. And the gospel calls us to speak against it. How can I say this is a gospel issue? Well, I've already talked about personal righteousness and the fact that we should seek to be justice. But beyond that, let me just point out a couple of things. First of all, the first tenet of our gospel is that we are made in the image and likeness of God. That was read our Genesis passage a couple of weeks ago, right? That we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And that our worthiness for Christ to shed his blood on the cross of Calvary Is not based on our merit, but on our humanity that he saw worthy enough to give his life for. So it's not about looking at someone who's being treated unjustly and saying, well, you know, they kind of asked for it because blah, blah, blah. No, they didn't. Based on their bearing the image of God, they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Period. End of the story. Because of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because they bear the image and likeness of God. Secondly, our Lord Jesus Christ was despised and rejected. He was victimized. The gospel is for every one of us, but it is especially for the poor and the marginalized, and the oppressed. And if there's one thing that we as followers of Jesus, a victimized, despised, rejected Savior, we should seek justice for the poor and the marginalized and the disadvantaged. Philippians 2 remind you, he did not consider equality to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in the form of a servant um, was willing to submit himself even to the cross. This is an Alex paraphrase, but that's Philippians 2. But what Paul says right before that is so important. Let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the cross, the gospel, commands that we too will seek to be ministering to the down and out and outcast and the oppressed. We need to be listening to them. And then lastly, third, let me suggest that the gospel is all about this issue because these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, we have been made one. That's throughout the entire New Testament. We are called to see that, that, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, the, the wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile has been demolished. And that's the basic first racism we see in Scripture, is this, is this Jewish-Gentile racism that, that, that G, Paul says Christ has come to demolish. All other racisms likewise have to be demolished, and we need to be, begin to see that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. The challenge for us is to live out the gospel. To hear what people would say to us. I am tired, I am sick and tired of talking to white people about racism who aren't willing to talk to a person of color about racism. And I'm sorry, but I'm I'm tired of it. Because unless you've looked in the face of an African-American man, preachers who've been stopped and harassed by police officers simply because they're driving a nice vehicle. And that's happened to two pastors in this city within the last month. Until you've done that, you don't get it. And you're not going to get it. The time has come for the church to rise up and to recognize that who we are in Christ and who they are in Christ is the same Lord and we have the same Father and we need to begin to listen to them. We won't vote alike necessarily. We won't worship alike. We won't preach alike. Although I feel like I'm becoming more and more indoctrinated, but that's okay. But, but let me tell you, but let me tell you, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they, reserve, they deserve to hear our voices. I'm not talking about the most radical, I'm not talking about the most radical voice you hear on the media. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ at Greater Bethel AME Church or Mount Carmel Baptist Church or Jesus People Church or Mount Moriah Church or Upper Room Ministries or The Well. I'm talking about listening to our brothers and sisters hearing their concerns, taking seriously what they have to say. And secondly, I think we have to acknowledge that we've been complicit. We may not have been actively complicit. I'm not suggesting that most of us are racist. I don't think there's, as a matter of fact, I don't believe there's anybody that's racist in this room, but we're still complicit in a system that, if we're honest, has advantaged us. You don't think I understand when I walk in as a white male into an auto mechanic shop that I, there's a super high advantage that, that if a person of color or a woman walks in there, that there's, I'm not super advantaged? I know I am. You can talk to I've heard comments. I, I understand where things are. I've, I'm out there. You know me. I'm talking to everybody, and so I'm hearing all kinds of things. And let me tell you, it's real, and we're complicit. And then we need to begin to pray, and not just pray, pray and work for change. On 7-14, on July 14th, we're going to gather at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in the the football stadium. And this is the Georgia Bulldogs saying this. We're going to go there, and we're going to worship the Lord together. Because this is much bigger than football. This is about coming together in one unity and praying. And God has given us favor. President Fox has given us favor to allow us to go and be there together. And we're going to go and we're going to pray. And we're going to seek the Lord's face. And we're going to ask him to heal our land. We're going to pray 2 Chronicles 7.14. Which, look it up. (laughs) God calls us to to repent and to seek his face. Now, I'm almost done, and I know I'm going long, and I apologize, but there's, a, there's an African-American preacher in, in Chicago that I've been listening to a good bit. His name is Charlie Dates. He's awesome, um, great man of God, and uh, he talks about the fact that there are, there's a whole generation of young men and women who are crying out for justice. And they're the ones largely that are out protesting and, and sadly some of it has turned to violence. But this is what Charlie Dates says. He says, the problem is that those young people are crying out for justice but they don't know the author of righteousness. But we do. And that is why we as the church have got to lead I want to end with First John chapter 4 verse 9 and following. And this is the love of God was manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You want to know what righteousness looks for? You want to know what justice looks for you look to the cross beloved john goes on if god so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen god if we love one another god abides in us and his love is perfected in us You know why God rejected the worship of Amos? Because there was no love. There was no justice in their worship. And God found it unacceptable. But we cry out to the Lord of righteousness. And we say, Lord, we repent. And we proclaim that we have one father. And we will serve that, Father, arm in arm, hand in hand, until Christ returns. Amen.